Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It's a rainy day in your nation's capital here in Washington, D.C., but we're about to rain some analysis on you because fight week, well, we're in the middle of it, and it's getting closer. Three more days. Three more days until the fights take place. Hello, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. This is Morning Combat. Welcome. We appreciate you joining us. As I indicated, I am merely one half of your hosting duo. You can look to the gentleman on that side of the screen. That's my partner. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I actually got to say, he looks pretty clean-shaven, uh, showered. Looking pretty good today, BC. What's up, bro? <laughs> I love the reality of this. I'm, I'm probably like coming up on two days with no shower that's just the reality of working at home everybody's sick nobody cares anymore about hygiene it's great but uh happy to be here luke and you know you said weather report it's raining anal so that's interesting we'll see how this show twists and turns from here i want to shout out i this wish fantastic. it was i want to shout out this great shirt here it's a uh it's a tour shirt from the great band, The War on Drugs, which has their new album, of course, the uh, I Don't Live Here Anymore. Uh, one of our great listeners, Tyler King from San Francisco, Luke, he loves this show so much. He's like, BC, I'm hitting up this concert, and I got to get you a T-shirt to wear on the show. So I'm out here representing our boy Tyler and a great band, The War on Drugs, Luke, because we have built something here called the community, a family, Luke, okay? And this family's got a lot of issues, but I love it. I love it. By the way, if uh, for the next pregame preview, whenever we do that one, we don't have one planned yet, but if, if and when we do, and I'm sure we will, uh, would you drink one of these with me? Now, I've never had this, but I bought this. Uh, it, they went on sale this week, and I, of course, was the first one to buy it. I have four of them, so I'll keep two for, for collector's sake, but I have this. I don't know if you can see it or not. Let's see. Put it up here. This is the Pantera Vulgar Display of Lager Beer. Oh, wow. Uh, let's see. It's uh, Pantera Vulgar Display of Lager, 1.5.9% alcohol. So it'll get you tuned up a little bit. Would you drink this with me? Absolutely. I thought you were going right, to try to make me do some kind of weird chip challenge. You know, that's what over dinner last night, one of my sons said, I saw Luke's Instagram. Daddy, do you have to? No, they don't say daddy. I mean, what, what are we what, what are we doing here, Luke? They're like, you know, uh, <laughs> they're like, you're going to eat that crap? I'm like, absolutely not, son. Okay. No, yeah, just he can't me. go. He can't make me. Okay, that's the thing. Just me, just me. I wasn't. I wouldn't even bother trying because I think you know it would. Cry, you'd cry and shit yourself. So, 
Um, I'm not going to bother trying, but I am going to do that today. So that should be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, on the show today, so on Monday, we focused in on UFC 273's main event, Volkanovski taking on the Korean Zombie. Today, let's shift to the co-main and then the feature fight, of course, Hamza Chemayev taking on Gilbert Burns. Thumbs up on the video if you would be so kind. Please hit subscribe if you are new here. Welcome. We do this three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 11 a.m. in the East. And, of course, we have a lot of content that goes far beyond it. Um, let's see, BC, Showtime is the label that pays. If you want to get Showtime and try it for free, give it a test run, kick the tires, you certainly may. Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, go about your life. BC, I know we have some updates to the merch store, which, of course, is morningcombat.store. What can you tell us? Uh, nothing. Nothing at all. But you can buy Do our merch on there, and it's fantastic. Doesn't this lady and win something? Doesn't this lady win something? Uh, oh, is yeah. That we, well, it's, it's not really related to this, but we did do the Morning Combat Bracket Challenge because of the uh, right. NCAA tournament, and we have a winner. Get ready. Look, we always say male, you know, we've got male listeners. Apparently, we got a whole lot of Rosie, too, because Rosie H. has won the Morning Combat Bracket Challenge and she has received or will receive a $100 Paramount Plus gift card. So, Luke, that ain't no merch per se. And, but and $50 still. gift card to the MK store. Oh, okay. Maybe you got more info than I do. So, Rosie H. is going to be outfitted. What do you think Rosie's going to pick, Luke? I think she's going right after that tie-dye sweatshirt because that thing is amazing. Um, whatever 50 bucks will get you. So, I'm going to guess a beanie, a mug, and a T-shirt, something like that. It's not you can't get that for fifty bucks on our site. But good luck. Good, good luck. I don't trying, even know the prices. Right? I don't even know this the prices. Guy, on this our guy site. RJ Dunkelmaker's like, I got to make a little extra coin on the side here. Let's let's crank that price up a little bit. Right? We're gonna start selling NFTs of us farting, and it's gonna bankrupt people. But it'll yeah, be fun. Absolutely. Uh, okay. On top of all of that, want to remind everyone, it's a week unlike any other. Finally, here the Masters returns to Augusta National, where Hideki Matsuyama will defend his green jacket. Go join the First Cut Golf Podcast where the entire crew is previewing this weekend's tournament, or this year's tournament, excuse me, from storylines to picks and even daily fantasy advice, The First Cut has you covered. The First Cut Golf Podcast is available wherever you listen to your podcast. Have you ever been to Augusta, Georgia, BC? I have not. They don't let, <laughs> surprisingly, they don't let people like me in there either, Luke, and, uh, you know, absolute dirt holes. But uh, I was going to want, first of all, I have heard throughout my life that The First Cut is the deepest, baby, I know. But I wanted to ask you, Luke, do you think, our brethren over there at the first cut are going to be chatting about that famous philanderer this week. Uh, probably, probably. Um, all roads lead to Tiger in any kind Luke, of golf. Tiger says he thinks he thinks he can win it this year. Your thoughts? I know, I know. I mean, he's he's going to. I mean, dude, Tiger is golf ratings. I mean, for folks who don't know, like when he competes, the numbers are like ten x through the roof on television and attendance and everything else. He's, he's like McGregor, like. Either when he's there, it's huge, and when he's not, it's kind of a lot less. So we'll see. By the way, speaking of Augusta, Augusta National is beautiful. Augusta, the city, and I've been there a few times, it's a real dump. So no need to go uh, unless you play golf at a very high level. Luke, have you uh, ever attempted to join the, the club there in Augusta? No. And then they were like. Dude, have you, let me, serious question. Have you ever played straight 18 holes? <laughs> As opposed to playing nine or just fucking oh, around okay, okay. Or... all right all right i mean i know you're the straight man on this show i'll just try to check in right there uh no, no luke i've played uh have i ever played 18 straight yeah 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 hot brick golf course Naugatuck, connecticut yeah. you tee off on concrete basically i played that shit up and down luke okay no see i've never done that i just go to the driving range that's my favorite thing i just go to the driving range and just happy gilmore as far as i see, can luke, basically we had a scam in our town if you join the golf team 
went to the first practice, and then never showed up again, you get to golf free all summer and just say you're on the golf team. Everyone knew that scam. It was fantastic. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. No, my, my favorite is just a public course here in D.C. It's called Haynes Point. For a dollar, they give you like 40 golf balls. And so for you know five bucks, a beer, and whatever, you can just have a good time. It's pretty fun, actually. So, all right. What's um, it called? Okay. Bottom golf, Luke? Is that what it's called? Uh, that Top Golf is. Uh, have you been to the Top Golf in Vegas? Uh, I have not. It's right next to the MGM Grand Signature, so I've seen yeah. I've seen the action from above, but I haven't experienced it. Luke. It's it's a lot of fun, actually. Like I've been to a few Top Golf Top Golfs, and most of them were pretty. The one in Vegas was tremendous, and the very the very I've said this before. The very first time I went. Bellator was throwing a watch party for MMA media. I forget what was going on. But I was anyway, going to so- say, I was invited once by Danny Brenner, and he said, yes. even Michael Chandler will be there, and I ended up not showing up, Luke. Okay? Yeah, Michael Chandler wasn't there, just for the record. But over to the left, I can tell you who was next to me. It was Omar Epps and Jamie Foxx throwing a bikini party, or oh, some wow. kind of party where there was a bunch of bikinis with women there next to him. Um, so it's it's a sight to behold when you go there. If you're ever in Vegas and you've not been to their top golf. Well, let I me ask you this, going. because our producer, Mikey Mormal just slid and he said, all right, how about an MK Top Golf outing during International Fight Week? Can we just throw an MK viewer party there, Luke? We could. Yes, we they have sloppy. tons of space. Yeah, we could. Actually, we could act, We could very much do that. Like we can advertise, sure. come pay money and, and get, get pictures with Luke and, you know, brush his beard, whatever you got to do, right? Yeah, $10 Venmo for every picture, you fucking peasants. All right. <laughs> Uh, I'm, t- I'm t- you're like, all right. You're like anyone who attends must stop at MedMen on the way and and fill up Luke's bag. It's like trick or treat here. It's great. <laughs> yes, I need a I need a MedMen gift bag every time someone comes to the turnstile. All right, BC, let's get this show on the road here if we can. We mentioned last week or Monday, I should say, we talked about the main event. Let's start with the co-main event. Perhaps in some ways, perhaps the most slept-on fight of this card. I mean, maybe it's number two to Kamzat and Burns, but still. Pretty wide gap between the enthusiasm for this one and the enthusiasm for that, which we'll also talk about. But BC, let's go down memory lane a little bit. Before the illegal knee in the first fight, what was your impression of what was happening? Uh, I rewatch. I saw your tweet, by the way, that instructed people to rewatch it earlier this morning and said, you know, hey, man, maybe this was a better or more competitive fight than I realized. Check it out. Look, t- one of the rare times I took your advice and I watched it again. <laughs> I'd watched it a couple weeks ago but as well. But look, this morning, I'll tell you this. Uh, it's a great matchup. First of all, to, to take away the DQ, to take away the BS, to take away the 13 months of waiting for some necessary closure atop this bottleneck division that was caused by this, you know, untimely knee and disqualification. It's a great-ass fight on paper. And at least for the first, let's say, two full rounds, I really thought it was playing out that way. I think ultimately in the end, through round three and through the, the majority of round four until the knee, we saw the direction that fight was going. Aljamain Sterling came out super aggressive, super hard, going for takedowns, looking to push the striking and the pace. And I think in the end, Luke, that caught up to him once Piotr Jan, Piotr Jan, Pete Jan, whatever, Luke, uh, was able to make like the key championship adjustments there early in round three. Once he was able to stop the takedown, you saw, and once he was able to limit Aljamain's success on the feet with hard counter punches and, and really just being able to navigate. Peter Jan is so good in every category, but defensively, man, is he on point. Once that change was made, not only did Aljo not have uh, an adjustment of his own, 
I think the fatigue kicked in. I think the work rate. They talked up on that broadcast meeting, Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier, ad nauseum about how efficient Fyodor Jan is with his stamina and how much he exerts early. I think that was the case, Luke. Sterling came out, put his best foot forward. We know he has advantages on the ground. We know he's long and athletic. But when they finally, you know, hit those championship rounds, we saw the guy that was on his way to victory, and that was Piotr Jan. In fact, Luke, I was wondering if he was going to stop Sterling in that next round. Now, if you're wondering where the scorecards sat at that moment, two of the scorecards had Jan up two rounds to one. A third scorecard did have Sterling up two rounds to one. They gave him the first two rounds. But you saw where that fight was headed, Luke. So I think that is damned, or not damned, diminished, right? Took away from what should be some high expectations for this fight. Because we all go by default, oh man, yo, wasn't Jan on his way to winning that? I don't need to see this again. And obviously, the fact that we've had to wait 13 months, the fact that Sterling took those pictures with the belt, and sometimes he's playing into the villain side of this. I think we've entered this fight not realizing, once again, how great these two fighters are in the sports deepest division. This could be great theater on Saturday night, whether you rightfully favor Piotr Jan or not, Luke. I was going to say, BC, um, for me, the reason why I ask people to reconsider watching the fight is because, well, one, you always need to just to sort of stay fresh about what happened. Sometimes your memories can play tricks on you. But the other part was it seemed to be pretty clear after the second round the fight was turning. But in the first round, there was a lot that I liked from Aljamain Sterling, which we already know he was kind of raining on him. But, like, several things stand out to me about that. Number one, he got dropped in the first round, and I still gave it to him. I mean, that, it's pretty rare if you can get dropped in the first round and you can still win. Jan hit him with a clean right hand, sat him down. He kind of got back up and, and did his thing, and overall he did the better work. Also, you know, you know, Jan does a lot of his high guard there, and it leaves his body exposed. They had a lot of body work built into that. Now, it didn't amount to much because <clears throat> Sterling ended up fading. But I guess what I'm pointing out is I don't change my views about how competitive it was. I still think Jan was taking over, and that's pretty much what he does. He kind of lets the fight come to him and then eases back into it, and then when he really gets going – it's all downhill from there for him. But still, I thought that Sterling and his team had a good game plan. They had a pretty clear understanding of what Jan's threats were. It seemed to me that that there was a little bit of Goldilocks syndrome that Sterling was suffering from. He was trying to go either too hard or not hard enough in certain areas, and he had a hard time getting right down that middle. In fact, I would say this is one of Daniel Cormier's better commentating jobs, sort of addressing some of this like overreach that Sterling was getting to. But still, here's the basic point I wanted to make. A lot of folks are really upset about how that fight ended. Um, but it's all Peter Jan's fault, by the way. It's not in any way the fault of, of Aljamain Sterling. When you watch it again, you get really reminded of that. And more to the point, yeah, whatever you want to say about how Aljo has acted after the fact, they've let that taint the beauty of this fight a little bit. This rematch is competitive. I expect Peter Jan to win. But it is competitive, and it is interesting. And these are two high-level guys. And their first fight... However else you remember it, it was also competitive, at least for large stretches of it. And so I'm very curious to see what happens this time around, BC, which leads me to the second question here, leaning on the first, now moving to the second. Who has more of a burden here? Now, the odds makers have Jan as the favorite, but who has more of a burden to do something different this time, something new? Well, I mean, without question, it's 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 Aljamain Sterling because Luke, look, he's he's incredibly talented, and I and I don't necessarily like the disparagement that surrounded his name because of again, like you said, something that's not his fault, the DQ, and then 
It's also not his fault that, you know, he had the neck issues and had to pull out of, of when this fight was supposed to take place last year. And, of course, Corey Sandhagen slid in. They put the interim belt on there. And Piotr Jan won a, a fantastic fight and really was the dominant fighter in that, despite it being a fun fight to watch. Uh, Aljo's got to change. I think he came out too aggressive because I was wondering, Luke, if he thought, look, Piotr Jan's a little bit of a slow starter. Like we just talked about, he's very efficient in his output. He likes to make reads. He likes to figure you out. And then once he starts going downhill after that adjustment, everything he throws is tight and powerful, and he begins to wear you down. I wonder if Aljo and team thought, look, we jumped all over Corey Sandhagen in our fight and 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 took advantage and, and, and kind of stunned him in the first round. Let's see if we can do the same. I'm not going to say that was a bad strategy the first time around. In fact, we just both talked about that. You know, he had success. He looked good in the first round. One judge gave him the first two. But, look, he's got to be able to show us that, you know, there is a difference between being an elite fighter in ability and being a legitimate championship contender because you can execute when times get hard and you can make those adjustments and you can keep your poise. I think those are some things that were lost a bit on Sterling as this fight rolled on. It wasn't just the fatigue, or let's say the fatigue caused what I'm about to say, but Luke, his form got very sloppy as that fight rolled on. I mean, with the, with the start of the round four, you know, he, yeah, he's still coming forward, but he looks like he's going through the motions trying to, trying to, you know, keep it together, try to find, desperately find that next wind. He's got a lot of changes that he has to make that I think go beyond just strategy. I think he's got to be prepared in many ways for this fight to look a lot differently as it goes on. And he's got to make those changes right along with Jan in real time. If you're Piotr Jan, dude, this is what you do, man. You, you start slow and you begin to wear dudes down and it turns out most people can't keep up with his cardio once it gets deep, with his power, with his technique, and with the fact that he's just so stubborn. That's the best co you know compliment I can give Piotr Jan. The combination of his takedown defense, his hard shots, his poise where he's never really reckless. There is something so perfectly stubborn in his foundation that makes it hard to get over the top of that and to outthink that and outmaneuver that. Luke, I need to see a lot more of that out of Aljo if plan A doesn't hit. And at this level, plan A rarely does, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm torn on the strategy too, BC, because, you know, I, you don't want to overstate comparisons, but there are certain boxers, we've talked about a number of them, where they kind of let the fight come to them and then they slowly, I used this term or this, this phrasing on the Submission Radio podcast last night, they kind of slowly begin to pull the Jenga pieces out of your game and then... When those things have been disarmed, that's when they just really kind of let let it let it fly on you, and that's exactly what Jan has done in his career, and that's exactly what he was doing in this fight. Still, BC, here's the thing about that: it's like, if, how do you beat a guy like that unless you can match him late with your adjustments? Like you have all of these tools to go to that you can mix and match and pair and set up and whatnot. Does it make more sense to go slow and then try to pour it on late knowing he will as well? Or does it make sense to say, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up with this guy late, but I can probably get defensive. And if I can scale a solution for three rounds, why not come out? You know, again, like, are you going to beat Mayweather in the last six? Unlikely. You're going to beat him in the first six. Like, is there an idea? Is there something to the idea that he could win the first three? And then, of course, the fight gets away from him. Easier said than done. And I still agree, even if you want to say that the first game plan was right in the sense of like taking it to Jan, he still went overboard on that level. Trevor Whitman, who was the, before Dean Thomas replaced him as like this kind of broadcast analyst, was even saying he needs to dial it back a bit. So even then, they didn't exactly have the right calibration. But I don't know that that was the wrong idea, to be honest with you. And for this one, 
talking about adjustments. I mean, that's the thing, dude. It's like Jan's whole game is built on adjustments. That's um, a lot of fighters, good or bad, aren't necessarily built on that at all. I don't know how you take that away from him other than BC making it a grappling contest. And then to your point you raised, yo, Jan's takedown defense and scrambling ability is maybe the most underrated in all of the UFC. It's so good. And Sterling was able to have a couple of moments of success, but nothing sustained. I'll just say this way, man. This is an uphill climb for Aljamain Sterling. I really believe that. I would I would agree with you on that. But, Luke, <clears throat> to come back to the basis of me saying, okay, we can, we can fall in love with how we think this ends and the narratives that we saw the first time and how they adapt to the second, but these are still two of the top 15 fighters in the world right now fighting off against each other in the sport's deepest division. Is that an incorrect statement? Certainly Jan is. I don't know where Sterling is ranked. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are, you know, are these the two of the three best bantamweights on earth? Uh, yes, without question. So, Luke, we're going to have to see, in my eyes, a, a different approach to this because he's already kind of seen what the end of the movie looks like when you get into a championship fight with Jan and you don't make those adjustments. So when you look at the advantages that Sterling brings to the table, I love Jan's takedown defense, but his back also touched the mat in that first round. And it's there for Aljo if he can time it and take this fight to the ground. But what he was one unable to do in the first fight was have success. Are there adjustments on the ground when it comes to the strategy that him and coach Ray Longo are looking to develop the second time around? The problem with facing a guy like Piotr Jan is you don't really see holes to game plan for. And like you just said, He's constantly adjusting. Is there something ground-focused using the fact that that uh, Sterling is, is a very fast starter? I mean, dude, that win over Sandhagen still looks freaking great because it was. How much more could he just focus on this being a ground fight and, and try to capitalize this time? I go back to what Gilbert Burns told us. I think if Sterling, or really any fighter, tries to go and really like tightly control him, you know, hold him down, press him down. Um, I don't think that's going to work. He is too strong underneath. His scrambling ability is just dynamic as as any other elite fighter I've ever seen. Uh, but maybe there might be a way, and again, you'd have to train specifically for this, but remember Gilbert Burns was saying these wrestling guys, they have different moves along the cage where they don't, um, they don't use as much energy and whatnot. I was watching this video on some channel that just sort of popped up in my YouTube feed uh, of Islam Makachev showing something against the cage when you're pressing someone in and they give you the whizzer. You don't try and just level change and pick them up. Just take them backwards. As they move their arms in certain directions and they shift their weight, just take them that way. And he was talking about how much more efficient it is and it takes less energy. I wonder if some of those things are what Burns is talking about. So, to, and to answer the question with Aljamain Sterling, you know, you know, you know that eventually Peter Jan's going to get to his base and you know that he's probably going to get away at some point. Why not build up more of a game plan? Again, easier said than done. But why not build a game plan to the extent possible that doesn't account for trying to hold him down at all costs, but lets him move a little bit and it frees you to open up with the ground and pound. I think that is something I would like to see a little bit more because we know Sterling has good submissions, right? But just hunting a submission for the throat from the back, if you can even get to the back, it's pretty hard to do on, on, on Jan. He's good about keeping his limbs close to his body when he needs to and everything else that goes along with submission defense. But if you can let him rotate to his base, grab a wrist, and then just start firing, <coughs> excuse me, I really believe that that is something different he could do. Score meaningful points 
really kind of get Jan thinking about the defense. That was the weird part to me, BC, in the first fight. The first two rounds, you can see Jan is very much looking at the offense that Sterling has to offer. He's trying to do his best to keep up with it and blah, 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 and land a little bit of his offense on his own. The third round starts, and it as if he was utterly unconcerned with it. Like, it didn't exist at all, but for a little bit of covering up he needed to do with a high guard. I mean, I think there's got to be some kind of way. Body work, I think, was one of them at range. But to answer your question on the ground, don't try and hold him down at all costs. Make him scramble, and in that scramble, find openings for big, big damage. I think that might get you a little bit further because I just don't think holding him down is really going to do anything. And once Jan was able to make that adjustment, uh, I said start of the third, it was really in the mid-second, to be able to not only consistently stuff the takedown, but sprawl and almost pin Aljo down. I wonder if he just said, okay, this door is closed, Luke. Uh, That door, it's hard to imagine if that door stays closed that Aljo wins this fight. But look, he's longer. He's an incredible athlete. I wonder if he looks to do the opposite. I wonder if he looks to slow down the pace and try to point fight a little bit, winning from the outside to try to save some of that thunder for late. Is that a better strategy? I don't know. We're going to find out on Saturday night. I just wanted to sort of... You know, remind everybody, I'm pretty damn excited for this fight, Luke. Uh, I don't like that we're here. I don't like that somebody can win a championship off a of DQ. I get why that rule's in place so that champions don't pull a pro wrestling and just, you know, hit the referee to keep their title. But for a worst-case scenario, I still really like this fight, Luke. I do. I do. Let me Can't ask wait. you, what, what effect, what role at all will Jan's coaches being basically not here have on him in the fight? It's hard to tell, Luke. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. uh, I I mean, you know, some guys are are uber dependent upon that direction. Some guys are, you know, they're taught during training camp and they go out there and perform. Uh, I I can't speak that for him, but it's something certainly to watch. Um, But do you agree with essentially what I'm saying where, like, across the board, people are like, oh, yeah, I saw that first one. Sterling's got no chance in this rematch. It's really hard to say that given the skill level yeah. in both, Luke. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. That he's got no. I mean, that seems very silly. I get that people are upset with him and blah blah blah, but no, that's very foolish. Especially to your point, like, man, if you slip up at all and he finds your back, you're, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. I mean, of course, Ian Higgins, to your point, but the other fights he's done that as well. Also, remember. Who did he get it on? Takeya Mizugaki, where he got an arm triangle hanging underneath him. I cannot explain how strong you have to be to pull that. That is, dude, that, I mean, understand something about that choke. A lot of the ways it was previously taught and still taught, you don't want to have symmetry with your opponent. You actually want to create an angle. And the reason why is very simple. It's like you're tightening the faucet to the right to get it to go. That's what the purpose is. To be able to like not have that angle and then you're hanging underneath so you can't drive the force of gravity underneath, it literally has to be all muscle. That is a level of strength that is absurd, absurd grappling strength. So to that point, yes, I favor Jan and, and, and we'll do some predictions officially on Friday, but um, this is this is not a gimme by any stretch of the imagination. Well, so, so question here then, BC. Yeah. Who, who's the number one contender? TJ Dillashaw, we think, right? But he's got the injury... So if Jan wins or Sterling wins, what the hell is next? You know, it may, it may be Jose Aldo. And, I, and, I, and some people got mad at me. I made a comment sort of in passing when we talked on, on Monday's show about, you know, Aldo's living a little bit more off the name than the true elite ability these days. And I, 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 I didn't mean that as harsh as it sounded. He's won three in a row. And his most vis- recent victory over Rob Font was just such a, damn, the legend's still here. Luke, 
the legend has a legendary name and that really helps you when you're up at the top and promoters are looking to make continue to make a name for whoever wins this championship fight on Saturday night. I mean, Josie Aldo would be the perfect opponent for either man coming out of here next, Luke, as a way to really, uh, you know, you feed your old to your young uh, traditionally in this game, but it'd also be a great fight because Josie Aldo's uh, still got heavy steam left. I think Dillashaw is more deserving, but, you know, there was a lot of talk, hey, how about Jose just fights Dillashaw in a number one contender's fight? Do you have an update on TJ's potential recovery? No, I mean, obviously, since the fight with Sandhagen, he had to get surgery on his knee again. That's not going to be a quick turnaround um, at all. So probably 2023 to be our late this year, 2023, to be honest with you. When you look at the top 10, Luke, you got Aldo at three, both Sandhagen at four and Rob Fon at five are coming off of defeats. And then you got Marav Davilashili at six, Luke. So in Dominic Cruz right behind that. So, uh, you know. I wouldn't hate I wouldn't hate Aldo getting in there next and maybe doing Marab versus Cruz or, or Marab I, I versus I don't hate one that at all. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I think it's good. I like that but, a lot. Well, let me ask you this because look, Sterling's got his name drab through the mud the mud of the last thirteen months. You know, up and down reasons that are largely unfair, but but we understand. Nobody's talking bad about Peter Yan. In fact, I said earlier, Luke, this guy's so well rounded. I'm not even sure you can find a hole in his game to expose. Well, how about this hole? Not this a-hole. How about this hole, Luke? On the biggest stage in the championship round, he made a cardinal sin that you can't do, a, a an obvious mistake in which the referee had just like kind of warned him a couple seconds earlier, saying, down, down, opponent down, and then he follows through. You did add the caveat of his coaches being unable to travel. Uh, look, no one's without a weakness. No one's without you know a chance to be exposed. Is there something there, Luke, or is this just... You know, Chris Webber calling a timeout when you didn't have one in the, in the championship against North Carolina. You just, it is what it is, and you move forward. Or is there something more here? Yeah, I mean, if he was Russell Westbrook about a month ago where he was getting clowned by the entire league for just a constant series of comical errors, maybe you would be like, Jesus, like, what is going to happen? Like, Greg Hardy. You just, I mean, I'm granted he got cut by UFC, but you just knew every time he was going to go out there, something crazy was going to happen. It just follows him. This was an egregious foul. When you go back and you watch it again, you're like, Jesus, what was he thinking? I mean, this is just like no issue at all. He was in the wrong, like, flatly. Um, but I don't think he's got a habit of that. Maybe you could say some of that in the Jose Aldo fight with shots to the back of the head. But even then, that's, you know, I don't know if that's a pattern per se. I, don't, I just don't see a pattern of error proneness. I don't see a, a pattern of cheating to get ahead in any kind of real way. And this one cost him big time. If anything, BC, there's a decent chance he might be a little bit more cautious about what to throw in in certain positions. Only time will tell, but I guess I just don't see that as a overbearing concern for me. Luke, That's to all. be clear here, in my in my reaction to your question about what who could be next, and it, it Aldo just seems to be in a great spot with TJ still hurt, you know, I, I had forgotten for a second that Aldo fought Jan and that it went disastrously bad, rabbit punches to the back of the head or not. You know, would you see them going back to that if Jan wins this on Saturday? I don't. Uh, I, think I don't. They could. I don't. I, I mean, I don't think. I don't think it's the likeliest possibility, but I think it's not unlikely. If Jan wins, I don't think it's unlikely. All right. All right. That's it. I mean, just look, just look. based on his need to keep, compete and keep the title fresh, and Dillashaw being unavailable, Sandhagen already losing. You know, I'm not sure what you're supposed. And I know Aldo already lost, but Aldo's on a three-fight win streak, as you indicated. Just beat Rob Font. Sanhagen's coming off of the loss to Jan, so there's no other place left to go. 
Yeah, I mean they could. They, I mean, or they bring Triple C back. You know, who the hell knows? That's another part Dude, that, of this whole okay, conversation. Okay, that you know what? You know what? That would be the time to slide him back in. It's a much more realistic fight for UFC to leap to make than to give uh, Triple C the the chance at history by fighting Volkanovski. They don't like when fighters take control of their own destinies and walk away and leave the titles, you know, on their own terms. But if you look at what's the biggest fight we can make, and if Jan wins and we already did Aldo and TJ's not ready and no one else is really right there, dude, Jan versus Cejudo is just a hell of a matchup, Luke. Dude, I mean, that's, that's an amazing fight. That's like central casting. That's a great <laughs> fight. So I like that you brought that up. We're certainly seeing Cejudo much more vocal about saying, I'll go to Moscow. You know, like he seems, he seems ready. Look, it seems like Henry Cejudo has gotten the break that he's needed. He's exercised some level of control over his name and brand, whatever it gets him. We don't know, but he stepped away and said, I'm going to do what I want. He comes back and fights Jan and wins that, man. Wow. You know, because I, because Luke, you know, Jan looks like, if he can put this DQ loss behind him, that even with how crazy deep this division is, dude, he looks like the, the, the face of this division for a while to come. I mean, he looks he like that dude, right? He's that guy, man. He's the fucking guy. I mean, Jan's a badass, Luke. I mean, yeah, he's Triple the C, real like, deal. Did you watch? Did you watch the countdown? Uh, not all the way. I skimmed it a little bit, Luke. So I mean, Korean Zombie is at Fight Ready, his gym in Arizona, training with him. And of course, you recall, look what uh, Henry Cejudo did for Devison Figueredo. Now we'll see what happens with John Jones and or Young Wei Lee. Zhang Wei Li in the rematch Wei Li, with Rose. Who did, who did not win, but certainly performed a lot better in the second fight than she did the first. Like, clearly, dude, Henry is talented. And clearly, he has an eye for coaching and detail. You see him going back and forth, chirping at McGregor. But the, the stuff he tells McGregor is all correct. So, you know, I really I have a lot of respect for Henry Cejudo. That, to me, is a bit of an X factor. If Jan wins, you know, again, th th does the Aldo fight and super inspire me? Not so much, but I recognize it's okay. But a triple C fight, now that is where, the to, to me, all the intrigue belongs. I would yeah. love to see that. Uh, by the way, you spoke to Mighty Mouse about this yes. fight, did you not? Let me tee this up. So uh, I talked with the great Demetrius Johnson, Mighty Mouse, uh, fresh off of his 1X Mixed Rules victory over Rod Tang, which we got into at, late, at length. Uh, this interview will go live today, this afternoon, uh, a couple hours after MK is, is over. But, Luke, among many topics over nearly 30 minutes, uh, Luke, I'll say this, right? I've interviewed him a lot of times, and it hasn't always gone excitedly. It's, it's DJ's personality. It is what it is. He's happy now these days. So, so you get a more lively chat with him, and it's great to see. But I did specifically say, uh, ask his thoughts. And the reason why I asked his thoughts on Jan Sterling, too, is we know about the rehydration rules in one and DJ told me straight up, dude, I'm never cutting to 125 again. I cannot make it on, on a, you know, and be healthy. So he's fighting at flyweight, of course, in one. He lost to Adriano Marais in his last uh, title fight. But they get to rehydrate up. So he's basically calling himself a bantamweight in terms of UFC concerns. So, I, you know, we talked about who are the best uh, 135ers in the world today. And I said, look, who's going to win this fight Saturday night? Let's see what he had to say. I think Peter Ron, I, I, I like Adam Stern, but I think Peter Ron beats him like peter Yuan has a very interesting way of going about how he beats people um and i think if you watch the first fight peter Yuan was just letting azimer starting to get off on him and i think that's what he does like he covers up he has a certain way that he covers up where he can take a shot and he's able to uh give his shot he i think he's way more explosive on the feet like with his combinations which is that his boxing is far superior in that division 
And I think he's going to be able to stop Ajahn Sterling's takedown and, you know, end up on top. But, you know, Ajahn Sterling said he had a legendary camp. He came off an injury in his neck. So, I mean, Ajahn Sterling could get it done, like with his grappling and his submission. And, he, and it's fighting. It's mixed martial arts. But if I have to, if my kids are like, Daddy, who do you think is going to win? I'm like, I think Petey Ryan's going to win. Because I think that first fight, he was taking all Ajahn Sterling's shots and defending the takedown. Dude, DJ is smart as shit. He's no, he, dude, he should get a, a TV gig or a, a pod. I mean, I know he's been streaming video games forever, but he's really good, Luke. And I think yeah. he's he's come out of his shell more. And maybe now that he's happier. The one thing that's so key with him, Luke, and we get into that, not to make this more about him than the Jan fight, but, uh, you know, he's never cared about legacy rankings, what people say about him. Like, he's very secure and balanced in who he is as a man. And I, and it comes through in this interview and I, I respect it a lot, but Luke, a little cliffhanger teaser uh, for people to check out this later today. I did ask him what his fighting future looks like. How many more years would he come back to the UFC? Is it one or nothing? Uh, You can find that out by watching the video, but Luke, could you even imagine um, as much as, you know, him versus Adriano Marais in in a rematch would be, would be a heck of a fight. Could you imagine him re-entering the 135 class at I at either the UFC or even Bantamweight at at Bellator, which has a, a, a huge tournament going on and countless names? I mean, Luke, um, don't, uh, y'all must have forgot that this guy's still among the best, you know, ten fighters in the world right now. Yeah, I mean, what is he? Thirty-five. So you don't, you know, you know, he's not exactly uh, the youngest guy in the world, but he's got all this veteran experience. He's got, he's seen everything. You could possibly see, you know, I mean, the, the guy is just as talented as they come, as experienced as they come. And I think among hardcores as well liked as it, as it gets as well. The casual fan base, you know, whatever you want to say about them. But I would love to see him. I, I realize it's not possible. And part of the reason why I think he's happy is because, you know, one caters to him in a way that UFC just doesn't cater to anybody. So right. good for him. He's in a place that he should be, I think. And, and there are tough fights over there for him as well. Obviously, the Marais fight didn't go his way. But, but to answer your question, like if he was back in Bellator UFC, dude, he'd be... Dude, there's money. That division. There is money fights. Should he want to play out the tail end of his 30s, uh, you know, shopping from organization to organization, there are big money fights. Because, Luke, you remember the tail end of his flyweight run, he was unwilling to go back up to 135. It didn't interest him. We all wanted him to fight Dominic Cruz in a rematch and become a two-division champion. He didn't care about it. I wonder if, you know, now that he's happier, he's well-paid, maybe, maybe he cares. Well, you know, watch the interview. You'll find out, Luke, okay? All right, let's move to topic number two. Fair enough. Can't wait to see it. Topic number two, this is the one that everyone is talking about. Gilbert Burns takes on Hamzat Shemaev in a, in a welterweight clash. This will be the feature fight, so not the main co-main, but the one just below it. BC, very simple question to start this conversation. Why is this, anecdotally it seems like, why is this by far the most popular fan-interested fight on this card? I, I have my own theories, but let me hear yours. Uh, because, look, what... We've talked about this, and I've sort of looked it up and debated and racked my head. Like, when have you seen, you know, a, a, a meteoric rise and a debut where somebody can come on the scene of the UFC, the highest level of the sport, and go from either unknown or, or contender or, or, you know, or prospect to, like, instant title contender where you really have no, no understanding of where that ceiling is? We've got a guy here, Luke, Okay. Who you can just tell, uh, you know, emotionally, his background in Chechnya and Russia. Like, he's just built differently. He willingly takes on almost this fun, villainous character. 
and yet he can go across two divisions. He's got sick knockout power, and he doesn't just have a great ground game. When you rewatch these dismantlings he's had in his four UFC appearances, including Luke, how you don't even want to say easy it was against Lee Jiang Liang. It was like, I mean, dude, it was like a purposeful beating in which, let's not forget, he picked up uh, Lee, slammed him purposely in front of Dana White, and then is like talking. I mean, this guy, Luke, is not just, oh shit, should he be fighting Kamaru now? It's, this guy is one of those special, he's screaming that he is one of those special ones. The kind of like, you know, the kind of shit we haven't seen since John Jones was rising. Like, like that all sounds like ridiculous hyperbole, Luke. And at times when I look at these betting odds, I'm like, nah, come on. Come on, bro. He's never fought past the second round in his life, and now we're putting in there with Gilbert Burns? But Luke, he goes up to middleweight, knocks out Mearshart like nothing, comes back down to welterweight after a year off and two, you know, disastrous battles with COVID in which he was basically retiring online. And dude, he chewed up and spit out one of the toughest outs in any division in Jiang Leon and, and just was like, I want it all and I want it now. Luke, Brock Lesnar is an interesting comparison because he came on the scene with such little experience and then was instantly a title contender and won the championship right after the loss to Mir and then rebound and then he's right in it. This is different because Chamayev didn't come over here outside of really that 2017 Brian Stan interview that keeps getting played now where he predicted that there's this guy in Sweden that's coming on and he'll be here one day. Outside of that, Luke, when do you remember hearing Chamayev's name before 2020 when he comes out on the scene in the middle of the pandemic, opportunistically wins three fights, including two in 10 days? Like, this guy came from seemingly, seemingly out of nowhere in terms of the mainstream public eye. And now you're like, dude, I'm not sure. If he rolls through Gilbert Burns like he like the odds makers are telling you, I'm not sure he shouldn't be favored over Kamara Usman. Dude, Kamara Usman's the pound for pound best fighter in the world. <laughs> and on his way to entering the GOAT upper room. And we're like, you know what? I'm really not sure. And look, for anyone that heard that and was like, come on, watch the four fights in a row and tell yourself anything different. Luke, I don't know if this guy could possibly keep this momentum going at this level, but the reason why this is the quote-unquote people's main event and the reason why the online numbers are butchering the two fights above it is because we not only have someone potentially super special in Chemayev, but we got the the freaking most battle-tested, savage, badass guy standing across from him and 35-year-old Gilbert Burns that this is a hell of a matchmaking job by Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard. That's why, Luke. That's freaking why, okay? Well, hell credit, yeah. credit, credit to Gilbert Burns, and he showed us the messages on his WhatsApp to his manager. He requested this, so you got to give Gilbert Burns. Like they didn't, I don't know if they forced this on him. It seems to me like he was electing to take it, and at a bare minimum did. So um, I just want to make sure that Gilbert gets some credit here, that he wasn't necessarily strong-armed into taking it. But... BC, I saw a tweet from Aaron, our friend Aaron Bronstetter. I didn't get a chance to see the video because it was blocked. For, you can only see it if you're in Canada. But it was a really interesting question. He was having a debate with Robin Black, and he was apparently the, the argument was, is Hamzat Chemaev the greatest prospect in UFC history? He might be. He yeah. might be. I would say if he beats Gilbert Burns, then there's no question that he is. To your point with the Brock Lesnar, but Brock Lesnar, I remember, if you're folks who don't remember the ads when he came in in 2009, 2008, whatever it was, 
there was this video package that the UFC made and it was like from the ring to the cage and they showed Lesnar in like his wrestling outfit, like grabbing the ropes and then it switches to him with the gloves on. And it was this, you know, they were playing off of the existing popularity and fan base that he had achieved from his time in college and the NFL, but obviously mostly from professional wrestling. To your point, Hamzat came out of the darkness. He's like Bane, ready to fight Batman. You know what I mean? Like, you, uh, you immediately adopted the darkness. I was born into it, molded by it. It feels like that a little bit. You know, whether he is the greatest prospect in UFC history is certainly a matter of debate, and I wish I could see that video. But I'll say this, BC. This is a historic bout, truly a historic bout. And I made a point yesterday in arguing about this. It reminds me very much of Daniel Cormier heading into the Josh Barnett fight to win the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix. Yes. And it reminds me of St. Pierre just before the Frank Trick fight at UFC 54 because you get these moments where someone is on their way and you can clearly see that like something big is going to happen, but you don't know exactly how and when and what's going to happen. And then in his, I think it was his 10th or 11th pro fight, Cormier actually won against Josh Barnett, and then we knew, okay, this guy's championship material. That's a great comparison, and, Luke. That's a great it, comparison because despite the Olympic pedigree, right, and the wrestling credentials, dude, no one, no one thought – dude, seriously, unless you're a hardcore amateur wrestling fan, when he when he was the late alternate to fill in in that Grand Prix, you're like, who? Yeah, but then remember, he beat Bigfoot, and you're like – like, he just smoked him like it was nothing. Oh, yeah. And you were like, yeah. whoa, okay, where is this going? And then he beat Barnett the way he did. And then what's the significance of this, of GSP over Trigg, of, of Cormier over Barnett? It's that, and by the way, these all happen around 10 or 11 fights. If you look at them, for Hamzat, this is his 11th. For GSP, that was his 11th. And for Cormier, I think that was his 10th or 11th. It happens right around this moment where someone who is clearly destined for something big, how big, we don't know, but someone who's clearly good, they get a contender who's not just highly ranked or good, but if they can beat that contender, it shows you that they're ready for the championship level. It show, Maybe not like the next fight, but like their championship material. That's what it shows you. That's what this fight is. If Hamzat Shemaev beats Gilbert Burns, ladies and gentlemen, make not a single mistake about it. He is ready for a title shot. Burns is that good. And again, I'm not talking some controversial win or he squeaked by or the judges fucked it up. I'm talking about imagine a scenario where, no, no doubt about it, he was the better guy. If you beat a guy like Gilbert Burns in your 11th MMA fight, motherfuckers, he is ready for the title after that. That's how good he would be. And so for those reasons, I want folks to understand, this is a historic bout. I think you're right. That's the right way to frame it. And I didn't think of that using that word, but it makes sense. And you look at the, that there's times that doors open when someone's coming on, whether it's out of nowhere like this or, or they surge and put it all together. And sometimes they're able to do things that you don't think is possible. The, the McGregor magic of 20, what, 15 and 16 were just like, dude, did anyone think he's going to knock out Aldo with one punch, then win the lightweight title, and then get the biggest fight ever against Floyd? No one, right? Adesanya, Luke, there was a window there where we're like, maybe he's going to move up and beat Blahovich and then maybe fight John Jones for the heavyweight title. Sometimes there's these openings. Dude, there is a potential opening, and it's putting... Talk about putting pressure on somebody who's still largely unproven. This is the largest amount of pressure put on one man's shoulders. <laughs> but there is an opening here where if he handles Gilbert Burns with the ease that, Luke, I've been taking note, every single analyst is saying, you know what? I don't want to believe in these fight odds, but you kind of have to. Could you imagine if he then goes and defeats Usman? Dude, we are going to be taking <laughs> out all of our drums 
and banging them for him versus Adesanya. Dude, there is a, a, a path, potentially, for him to go down that, you know, very few ever get a chance to even sniff the possibility of. That's why we are this excited, as you said, uh, well said there. But, um, look, I don't know. He could come out there and be... 80% of what he think what we think he is and still lose and then still rebound. But, you know, we've been fooled before by prospects. I always talk about, you know, Tom Dukenwah, Duhu Choi. I mean, these are guys where I was like, man, that's my guy right there, right? You know, it's, sometimes it just doesn't work out. I don't remember short of John Jones in that early run ever feeling like somebody is so – I mean, even Johnny Walker, right? You're like, those are some freak knockouts, but, dude, I got to see more. I don't remember having this much confidence in someone this early, and I certainly don't remember the odds makers looking at a great, tough, difficult fight on paper and going minus seven hundred. Hamza Chimaev. Yep, that's the right. That's the right line. We're gonna start right there. Like, holy shit, Luke! Like, I love seriously. your point. I love your point about like McGregor beating Jose Aldo with one punch and then beating Eddie Alvarez. Like. Something it's just impossible to imagine, and it actually happened. Same thing with John Jones. Like, I knew he beat Matt Yushchenko, but Matt Yushchenko was a really good wrestler, and John just fucking toyed with him. Or Brandon Vera. Dude, Brandon Vera is now a natural heavyweight, but, like, you know, he was... I realize that the name Brandon Vera for some folks are like, oh, he was the guy that fizzled out. But there was a time when he was beating the Eilers and the Frank Mears of the world, and it was, like, looking unbeatable. And I knew John would beat him, but I was like, okay, this could be reasonably an interesting competitive. And then John just fucking mowed him down. You know, this is the thing you just things you can't even see. Then they just happen. Not just not just like they happen, but like they happen with authority. I don't know what's going to happen on Saturday, but I will say that if a guy like Hamzat does this, not only is the bout historic, that's a historic win that you can add as maybe one of the more impressive wins for anyone in all of MMA, given the relative youth, given the relative inexperience and given the extraordinary difficulty that comes with beating. This isn't a Gilbert Burns on the couch, dude. This isn't a Gilbert Burns kind of taking this halfway seriously. This is Gilbert Burns going, I'm all fucking in. For Hamzat to beat that guy, holy shit. I mean, Mose. Luke, we talked about a lot of it from our Gilbert Burns interview because it was so, such a great chat, and shout out to Gilbert for being that open, obviously. But, like, not only is Gilbert all of those credentials and experience, and he dropped the best fighter in the world, Usman, in the first round of their matchup. Like, let's not forget that two fights ago. But he is also taking this as serious as it needs where he's training with Usman. He's got the two mystery Russian men. One could be Habib for all we know. Like you saw the video Danny Segura put out for MMA junkie of the, of the absurd strength training that Burns is doing ahead of this fight. Like not only is this so stupid of a tough matchup this early for Chemayev, considering again, he's never been past the second round, but Burns is like no fucking stone left unturned to prepare for this. And yet that line is not moving, Luke. I mean, like, it is, it's wild, dude. It is wild, the expectations of Chemayev. And once again, I tell you, the proof's in the pudding, Floyd. Go back and rewatch those four fights, Luke. Could you say anything else? Could you, I mean, like, the, what we don't know about him yet still is what makes this such a great, like, you could shift this to the main event. Nobody's complaining. Nobody, Luke. And here's the other part that no one's talking about. What if Gilbert Burns wins? What if he wins? What if he wins in a way that we're not expecting? Where I mean, I, 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 when I imagine scenarios of Hamza winning, it seems dominant in my brain, and when I imagine scenarios of Gilbert winning, they seem like workmanlike difficult. But you know, he get, he threads that needle, he gets it done. And maybe that's fair, maybe that's unfair. I'm just telling you what, like, what your brain cooks up. But if he does, he's been re like 
kindling the friendship with Kamaru, he might have to fight Kamaru again, which is just all there's all kinds of weird surrounding yeah. this bout. Now we have some audio I'd like to throw to real quickly. Speaking about like why he took the Hamza fight, because BC, there's just it's just a lot of weirdness involved. This is what he said. Teachers, administrators, and other school staff play an important role. Education can be a shining light, and it's really the equalizer for everybody. You are making a difference in people's lives, including your students. You can have a really bad day at school and still realize that what you're doing is making a bigger difference. We are the best profession in the world next to doctors, but even a doctor had a teacher. Find what helps at cdcfoundation.org slash how right now. That wasn't the first option. We, we want to fight Kobe. That was the fight that I was looking for. But then they make the rematch. After the rematch, the fight with Jorge. And uh, I knew it would be hard to get an opponent. And then when when he beat Lee Jiliang, I knew the hype was going to get crazy. And no one was to fight him. And then I, like, I kind of, I don't know. No one was giving me a fight. I wasn't getting a fight. I was just like, I text Ali and say, I want to fight this guy, I think. They're going to offer it to me, so I'm already letting you know I want to fight these. And we've seen the DM. Yes. We can confirm this. We want to point this out. We saw Gilbert with the timestamp from the day and everything else right after uh, the last fight with Hamza and Li Jiangling. He literally hits up his manager and goes, I want it. His manager goes, why? <laughs> but you did it. Here, here we well, are. I'll answer it for you. You wanted it because you're a savage, and I say that as a compliment to where you are in your career at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Let me always Basically. put that disclaimer in there, Luke, okay? That guy's a freaking savage, but I mean that in the nicest possible let's, way. Let, Damn, let I love one, this fight. Damn. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about Gilbert one more. What does Gilbert get out of this win? We talked about it in the interview a little bit, but now that we've had some time to reflect on it, because here's the thing about Hamzat. It's not like he already has all of these things that we're imagining he could have. If Gilbert beats him, we have to recalibrate what it meant to beat him and what is the ultimate upside. Now, maybe he gets a title shot, or maybe he has to fight Colby. So, like reasonably speaking bc let's say gilbert gets a win and again not controversial whatever that means he was the better guy what what happens next it's going to be interesting what they do matchmaking wise if leon edwards gets the the rematch with kamaru and he's deserving of course um would they go back right back to the former teammates i mean look this would be a monster win for gilbert if he does it by exposing chamayev then you know his stock is going to be you can i mean look would his stock be even higher than it was after that win streak that got him the 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 original Usman fight, Gilbert's stock would have to be higher because of it what would, we it think. It would be higher, yes. Unless Chemayev, the wheels just fall off right in front of us, right? You know, like, unless that happens where he's exposed. But if Gilbert wins and it's Gilbert winning, um, meaning he caused this more or less, this is him putting all of his chips in the center of the table because it took this guy a while to figure out how to get the best out of him. It took changing a weight class it took rounding out his game and making his stri his striking as dangerous as his, as his decorated grappling skills are. And then, Luke, like a lot of people, he finally gets to that mountaintop and, you know, like Poirier against Habib, and it just it didn't happen. For whatever reason, it didn't happen. At his age, Luke, and he's going to be 36 in July, Gilbert Burns, um, dude, the only real chance to double back down right now is to, is to go fight that toughest guy walking into the jail on day one. He's doing that. I mean, there's so much respect for him. You, you can't even, but why is he doing it? Because the window, he's in that, he's in there. He's in that window right now of maximizing his ability. Uh, what I loved, what I learned about Gilbert from this interview 
is that some guys will say it, some guys don't mean it. He, re- I think he really means it when he says the glory of the championship, meaning how do I make, you know, 80% of what my life has been, the dedication to this sport, how do I make that make sense? All the time put in, yeah, getting the money's great, The fam- he's a family man, all that, you know, the fame, whatever. This guy doesn't care about most of that stuff, Luke, beyond the family, of course. He is here for the glory of it. And, you know, sometimes the glory only really makes up 10, 20% of guys when they get to this level because they fight through the business bullshit. And sometimes it really is just about money. Still about glory for Gilbert. And I have a lot of respect for that. And that's why he's willing to take this. And, Luke, if he didn't, you know, is it impossible for him to get back into title contention? No, but it's 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 certainly not likely. I mean, you know, you'd have to win a few times some super elite guys. I mean, let, let me ask you this, Luke. If Kamaru defeats Leon this summer, and we don't really know how much longer Kamaru is going to fight, who is most deserving in this division? Who do you want to see him against beyond the winner of this burns uh, Chimaya fight? This is what I've been sort of trying to noodle through. Like, what do you do if Gilbert wins, right? And again, we're talking about a world where he wins, you know, convincingly and fairly. I think two things have are one thing actually will happen. One thing should happen. I think that there's been this perception of welterweight that it's been the Kamaru Colby and then for a time the Jorge Masvidal show. Jorge more as a popular, interesting figure. Obviously, the subsequent losses and everything else has pushed him out of that. But there's they've, they've sort of been the nucleus of how folks have talked and thought about welterweight, right? Gilbert has been part of that conversation, but maybe a little bit to the side. I think if he beats Hamzat, people are going to realize that, like, no, 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 it's not really the Colby, Kamaru, Jorge story. And again, Jorge's would have been pushed off already. But that the real dominant players, the ones that really deserve to be respected and talked about, is actually Gilbert Burns and Colby and Kamaru. Like, he is the part of that triumvirate that gets kind of excluded a little bit. In terms of a fight, remember what he told us when we were down there? He was looking for the Colby fight. He's looking for who I want that dude. When when Gilbert Burns puts his feet on the floor in the morning, when he wakes up, the first thought that must go through his mind is, I want the fucking smoke. Because he's looking for the toughest guys, the highest ranked guys, the ones that everyone says are unbeatable. He told us he loves the model that RDA has set up. And that's a win-lose model a lot of times. But it does confer an enormous amount of respect over the long haul. And obviously, he's in there to win it. So the point I'm trying to make is I, I, I would think the Colby fight um, makes a lot of sense. Because, yes, Colby beating Jorge is great. But Jorge is sitting back at, what, seventh or something? Yeah. Gilbert Burns, to me, if you beat Chemayev, Gilbert Burns, to me, represents a threat that now Colby needs to pass or whoever who wants to get back at Kamaru. They, the, the, their roads lead to each other on this one. I just question how much more Kamaru wants to keep fighting contenders. And I know that uh, Vicente Luque and Bilal Muhammad have a matchup, a rematch coming yep. up to headline a fight night. It's a great fight. They're both in the top 10. Could the winner of that, you know, be, be in line? Maybe, but like, I don't think Usman's going to jump at that. I don't think the, the sport, I think if you're Usman, Luke, look, if Chemayev obliterates Gilbert, you're going to have to fight Chemayev unless you're going to give up the belt because UFC's, they're going right after it and they should, okay? But if that doesn't happen, Luke, you know, I don't know if Kamaru really is going to welcome a Gilbert rematch. I don't, you know, he may go like this. I'm going to keep pushing the Canelo thing just because I want to get paid. I don't think UFC will co-promote it. I don't think it'll happen. But there are other money fights Kamaru can play out the string with, Luke, and make a lot of money and get even more famous. And those names involve Conor McGregor or Dustin Poirier, in my eyes, moving up and challenging him for the title. I think mm. that would be more likely to happen than him going, okay, let's get Burns again. Let me get the winner of, uh, you know, Luke Muhammad. So I think as fans, Luke, 
and this isn't playing favor to either fighter in the burns Chamayev matchup, but what's the best scenario for the UFC, and what's the best scenario for the UFC fan? Hamzat Chamayev fucking dismantling Gilbert Burns. That's the best scenario for, for business and for fandom moving forward, Luke. And, you know, Kamaru versus that guy, if it happens, would be freaking wild. But, yeah, is there a world in which Gilbert wins this despite those odds, despite all this fanfare? You're damn right there is, Luke. This guy's never been past the second round yet. You know what I mean? Of course there right. is. Here, here's also something. And that's here's why also... this fight rules, okay? That's yeah, no, I agree. One thing to think about, too, is there is a way that this fight goes, especially on the Hamzat side, because he's got big power, right? I mean, we, we, he knocked out Gerald Mearshart at 185. Like, his power goes up. If he fights Gilbert and they're exchanging on the feet, let's say Gilbert gets a couple takedowns and, like, Gilbert's looking good, right? You're like, damn, man. Gilbert might, okay, he came fucking ready to go. And then he eats an uppercut and he gets knocked out. You still haven't answered really any of the questions about how Hamzat looks in the third, fourth, and fifth. But it, it, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter because the win would be so authoritative. So, like, there is a possibility where you get, like, the best outcome for the division and for the UFC and whatever and that you still can carry some of this mystery into a possible title fight, which by itself would be basically unheard of at the UFC level. It is, again, a historic bout. These don't happen very often, like once a decade or so, and we're back. This is I mean, it. Luke, so. um, seriously, Hamzat versus Usman at this point in Chemayev's career, dude, that's a lot like Brock versus Randy. It's different. But it's a lot like it. It's different, yeah, because Brock was so huge in that fight. I mean, um, yeah, but yeah, I see what you're saying. I really do. I mean, he won that. He beat Randy Couture in what his fourth fight. He was three and one after that fight, something like that. Crazy, you know, something crazy. just absurd. Um, yeah, all right. yeah, because yeah, because he what he he beat the the Asian guy off of UFC. Then there was the mere fight, and then he fucking put it. On, he pancaked Heath Herring. That was a fun yep. event, Luke. Yes, and then, and then, yes, so then he, so that was, they give him, that was, he was two and one. He beat someone else. I forget who it was at this point, but uh, in any case. All right, let's move to topic. Hey, guys, real quick. Yeah. Luke, real yeah. quick. Um, it looks like Kamzad's doing some media availability right now. Okay. He had a comment about Colby Covington saying he should be kicked out of the UFC. Do you guys care about this? He said he's a bitch and should be kicked out of the UFC. <laughs> How about Manish uh, If it means in, like, like a authority. fight between them, I care. He said uh, they're asking him if he want, if Colby really wants to fight him, and he said I don't think he does. I think he's a bitch. Uh, he should be kicked out of the UFC. I think he'd call the cops if we fought. There you go. There you go. Luke, I just looked it up. Lesnar went right from Heath Herring into Randy Couture, so that's wild. Yeah, there that's, you go. That's there you pretty go. Wild. All right, let's move to topic number three here. Uh, the rest of the UFC 273 card, BC. There's a ton of good fights on here. I don't want to spend a ton of time on them, but it suffice to say, if you pay for this, you're going to get. A lot of bang for your buck. Mackenzie Dern at women's strawweight takes on Tisha Torres. BC Dern coming off that loss to Marina Rodriguez, where on the ground, obviously was given Rodriguez a ton of problems, but really couldn't get anything moving on the feet. And then Tisha Torres on a three-fight win streak, most yeah. recently beating Angela Hill. This is a tough fight for Mackenzie Dern, man. It is. I like this fight a lot. Women's strawweights deliver, of course. But look, Tisha Torres is... is She's emptying the tank once more to see if to see what's left. She's in her early 30s. She had that disastrous losing streak to all elite names, which, you know, she could have got caught at the end of that. You lose four or five times in a row to the best in your division, you know, it's hard to recover from that. I'll give her a lot of credit, Luke. The win streak largely come against lesser names for sure, but she retooled. She's in the best shape of her life, like, by far. I know Tisha's been uh, doing, you know, some bodybuilding competitions and stuff. She's geared up and ready, and I think if you look at that fight you mentioned for Dern, it was a plateauing, leveling out fight to go in there against Marina Rodriguez. 
I think it's still showing Luke that she's still a little bit too one-dimensional to the ground, but she did show a good fighting spirit, and she was in that fight. This is sort of that retooling opportunity for Mackenzie where she's got to go out there and put it on Tisha and make it look easy. And if she does, Luke, she's still in the larger title picture here because of the – look, she's a she's a potential marketable name, no question. She's got great ability. I think she just keeps – she needs to keep tinkering. This could be that potential opportunity on the feet especially because you know Torres is going to come forward. She's going to dart in and out. I really want to see the improvements that Mackenzie Dern makes in this one. And uh, did she chat with our boy Shaq? No? Don't we have sound I think she did. I think she did, yeah. If you look at her wins, Mackenzie Dern's wins – I'd argue the two best came before the Rodriguez fight when she beat uh, Virna Janjiroba and then uh, Nina Nunez. But still, there were some questions about that because you know Nina Nunez obviously had the kid, and you know there's a lot of time off. And Janjiroba obviously doesn't ha- can't lord the ground game over her. So there, th- you know, those were great wins. Don't get me wrong, but to me, Tisha Torres, who could stick and move, and obviously you know on the uh, movement on the feet for for Dern, that's been a lo- that's been an ongoing issue. So this is one of those fights where if she you know, if she wins on the ground, okay, that's Mackenzie Dern. I, I'm curious to see how she looks on the feet. I want to see how she looks on the feet. Yeah. Um, the, the takedowns need to be there, and everything else needs to be there. Uh, also on this card, BC, this well, will open the main. Don't leave it, Luke. Don't leave it. You got to throw we, it We got to move along, BC. We got to well, move hold along. On. I know you're, you love to matumbo Shaquille Majori. You love to. The Persian Prince. You're like, yo, we're going to play some Shaq t- sound today. And then you're like, you know, fuck Shaq, bro, okay? Yo, can we play the sound? All right, Shaq MMA right, on play YouTube, the sound. please. Let's play the sound. You sort of analyze you versus Tisha fight preview stuff. What's the biggest advantage each person has going into this fight? Um, I mean, I think Tisha, her her biggest advantage is like that she's fast, she's quick, and she moves well. You know, I think she hits and gets out, and mm-hmm. her good cardio, you know, and she's very fast, da, 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 and gets out in points, and then gets out. So um, she has a lot of experience. I think most of her losses have been almost all like ex-champions, you know, or champions like now. Um, so I think she has her spirit experience and just her, her footwork. And then mine, I think my biggest uh, strength for this fight is just that I just keep going forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't stop going forward, you know what I mean? And She better keep coming. Well, look at that. Look at that. You're like, you're yeah. like, you know what? If we're gonna if we're gonna delay this show, I'm just gonna white trash all over the screen. That's great, Luke. Uh shout out to Shaq MMA on YouTube there, our our, our uh, French Canadian friend. Uh is he he's from yes. Montreal, he lives in Vancouver. You don't care, but he's a nice nice kid, nice guy. All right. Yes. Uh, also opening this card, BC, this is maybe the most slept on fight on this card, and it's awesome. Vince from Hell Pichel takes on Mark O. Madsen. Mark O. Madsen, the greatest maybe Danish wrestler ever, silver medalist in the Olympics, multiple times silver medalist um, in the world championships. I'm told from wrestling folks that the guy who he kept losing to is maybe the greatest Greco guy in that weight class ever. So, you know, uh, coming up short to him doesn't say a whole lot. Oh, Madsen undefeated BC, but a little older, had a bout with COVID and a whole lot of nonsense going on in his fight. Vince Pichel, kind of an afterthought for a while, but he beat Austin Hubbard, who was a very good fighter in his last contest. Dude, this one has action written all over it from the opening bell on. It does, and Marco Manson still has to answer a lot of questions. He's 37. Yes, he's 3-0 and since this transition. And, look, you know, you know I love watching guys like this who are 
Because it, it reminds me of the old-time UFC when someone's such a specialist in one skill of martial arts away from mixed martial arts and then tries to mix it in. And sometimes you get Gokan saki Luke. We haven't seen Madsen take that L yet, but we have seen it, uh, the doors open of exposure of his, of his gas tank, of his striking certainly not being on the same level of his wrestling. He's going to be in a fight here, Luke, and I think he's going to have to make a market improvement from what he showed in that split decision win over Guido where there were there were plenty of holes there and uh it's gonna be fun to watch uh also on the prelim card BC I'd be curious to know what your favorite is there's two well there's a bunch that stand out first of all Mickey Gall has won and lost in an alternate way since the Sage Northcutt fight which I think was his fourth fight so you know if he loses here that would be two in a row but if he wins it would just sort of be the repeating of the pattern I'm uh, taking on, a, a, I think, a beatable Mike Malott, so we'll see what happens there. But for me, BC, you got Aspen Ladd taking on Raquel Pennington. That's a huge fight. And then Ian Gary, sort of the next sort of rising star out of uh, Ireland, although he trains at Sanford MMA, taking on Darian Weeks, a guy who's only, this will be his only seventh fight, so this is probably a little bit early for him. But Gary, this will only be his ninth fight. There's a lot to like on the prelim card for ESPN Plus as well. Yeah, we ran into Gary, of course, at Sanford MMA when we talked to Gilbert Burns. He had a Phoenix Suns jersey with his own name on the back, Luke. I'm gonna interested to see if he ends up getting the, the featured prelim spot on this card because he's got... You know, certainly some ability worth taking notice, but from an area of, of the MMA world, Luke, which is on fire at the moment, this would be a great time to sort of show everybody who you can be. But, Luke, circle that that Aspen Ladd-Raquel Pennington fight. Dude, talk about questions that need answered, answering from Ladd, who keeps failing to make weight at Bantamweight, moved up to featherweight, and, of course, lost um, that one fight and has is, is had just disastrous weight cuts lock Luke, i have seen her progress in this camp and she looks to be by far in the best shape of her career which you know it, it almost feels now or never meaning if she can't prove once again that she not only can make 135 but can make it i don't want to say easily but competitively so that she's got plenty in the tank raquel pennington is on a nice little win streak of her own luke maybe finding out you know what's left in that tank of herself to try to pour out this is the fight this is the matchup because if lad either loses this or doesn't make the weight on Friday or anything, Luke, how many more times can you cry wolf that, that, that you are the future of this division? You can't. So this is mm. the moment, Luke, this is mm. the time. Uh, do, are you expecting big things from Aspen Ladd here? I agree with you. It's shit or get off the pot, right? I mean, this is, you know, how old is Aspen Ladd now? So she currently sits at 27. There's still time, but to your point, she's a coming off the loss to Norma Dumont from October of 2021 and so she just needs to get right. And I agree between the weight issues and like the, the performances have been overall good, definitely good, but it hasn't been, it hasn't matched some of the rhetoric around her, which I'm not saying she's the one out there banging the drum all the time that she's the future. I mean, partly there's a little bit of that, partly there's a little bit of promotional hype and everything around. But yes, I agree. It's time to start making a move um, towards the upper end of this division. And Raquel Pennington's about as good a test as you're going to get. Durable. Um, experienced, has seen it all uh, in terms of what fighters offer in every dimension. So you get a win over someone like Raquel Pennington, BC. I'm not going to say it erases the past, but I think it would give people renewed confidence about yeah. what is possible moving forward. And Rocky's, say that. Rocky's physically strong and stubborn, so it's not going to be easy to, to take right. her down and be dominant on top. So if Aspen can do that, which I think she needs to, Luke. You got, you got. Look, this is a big night, big night for Lad, Luke. And I don't know why all Huge our viewers night. keep DMing me training pics of her. Like, I follow her on Instagram. What do you, I mean? I don't. You know, it's okay. like, okay, it's like, all hey, right. hey, on hey, that, BC, on that, you know, along. you know, Joanna's in Aruba. I'm like, yeah, I, I knew that. I knew that, bro. Okay, thank you. Okay, <laughs> I appreciate okay. it. Okay, okay. 
I'm, move, I'm moving along now. Topic number four. We talked a little bit about, about, about PFL. There's bad and then there's good. Let's start with the bad because it's sort of more interesting news. ESPN reported, uh, I'll, I'll simplify the story. Basically, the uh, PFL has a challenger series that they do with Fubo TV. And they had an event last week that was seemingly, I want to be very clear about some of the terms here, seemingly presented as live. Now, the uh, PFL organization and uh, made clear to not promote any odds around the fight. They didn't have a, uh, Ian Parker, so they were not doing any promotion of the odds under anything that they were delivering. However, sports books elsewhere were taking odds on this fight, thinking that it was live, and in fact, it was not. This has got them in a bit of regulatory hot water. BC, I, I spoke to some folks in the know last night. This is my best read on things. This is my best read. I don't know what happened, but because there is so much suspicion inside combat sports of uh, foul play or otherwise underhand, underhanded criminal behavior, you know, PFL has always acted, to my knowledge, above board. I would be very surprised if this was in somehow <clears throat> intentional. What yeah. I do think is what I do think happened though is if you look at their social assets from that night, they were like, "Oh, guys are in the building," and blah blah yeah. blah, and then Fubo. I don't know what they did in terms of what they were presenting it. So I'll just say this. I don't think PFL engaged at all in criminal behavior, but clearly somebody and a few somebodies got real sloppy along the way. Yeah, well, basically what happened was as this card aired, uh, the there was a huge surge in bets. So that's showing you that people on the inside – you know, that, that, that no, right. we're doing that. And I think the guy in the main event, Luke, he's a heavyweight. He was like a minus 150 favorite to start. And right before his fight, he was like a minus 2750. So you can see what went on there. That let off the alarms. Do I think PFL, you know, tried to do something nefarious? No, but it's sloppy. And there's a lot of issues here. Not only did, as you mentioned, that they promote it on social media as if it was live, but Fubo had their live bug all over their schedule, on the screen. They would say afterwards through a spokesman that it was a mistake, that they used the same graphics from the week before or what have you. But I just think it's a bad look in general. Whether, you know, we criticized Bellator in the past couple of years when they would have an international card and then air it six hours later. I just think it's a bad look in general at this point of live sports and streaming and a million networks that you're not airing something live. And the fact that this got to the level of books putting out odds and no one in PFL realized that, it's sloppy. So you're asking yourself, why does that matter? It's a massive stain on the brand name in terms of, in terms of you know, being being considered reputable. But also, Luke, you know, the Arizona Gaming Commission, for example, basically cut ties with PFL. Now, could that change? I'm not sure. But they removed them from their books and said, we're not doing business with them anymore. Some of the bigger state com state uh, betting commissions like like Nevada and California, they're putting this under review. You know, if, if these big state commissions basically say F off, we don't trust you anymore, that's a bad look publicly. So, you know, I can't really remember seeing something like this happen. We've seen certain MMA stuff, um, you know, pre-taped and Remember the whole debacle with the, uh, what was it, the original Ultimate Fighter fights that Josh Gross got under Dana White's ire for sharing the results with? And mm -hmm. uh, my whole thing is, look, dude, I don't care when you film them. Put it live. Like, this should never happen. And, and now right. that we are, as a community, embracing betting so so aggressively, you know, I mean, on CBS Sports, on Beyond, I mean, everywhere, everywhere, right? We're hoping to get some of that betting money on this show, too, mother, mother effers. Um you gotta die, you gotta tighten that that ship up. I mean, we got an NFL team in Vegas, Luke. You gotta you gotta make sure Tim Donahue's not coming through that door. If you know what I'm saying. 
Yeah, I mean, the last thing I'd say on this is, in it, I think the point you raised was right. We've seen kind of like pre-taped fights that were broadcasted later for the reality show. And then we've seen that for some of the like um, overseas promotions at times. But I'm just going to say this. For a North American promotion that is on a big network, which I know they air on ESPN Plus and ESPN2 and occasionally other places inside the ESPN family, but is heavily involved in terms of advertising revenue with gambling. You bring on Ian Parker. When the fights are live, you show the odds before both guys. And again, for this fight, they did not do that. But I just want to point out, if you are going to be in that business, please don't pre-record your fights. Only bad things can happen because somebody's going to get the wrong signal somewhere and you're going to end up in a situation like this and it's going to be real hard to undo. Don't fucking do it. Make the fights live and then just be done with it. If you can't have it, you don't, you don't have the inventory to share it, then just don't share it. Simple as that. Now, they do have a card, BC, that they announced for May 6th. Well, so, Luke, uh, hold on. A- that, that cage has been known to be so smart. Shouldn't that cage have alerted us, Luke? I mean, come on. You know what I mean? Yes, the cage. I mean, this shows you how smart that cage is. Not super <laughs> fucking smart whatsoever. Um, but okay. The card they announced for the May 6th event, BC, it'll air on ESPN2. Kayla Harrison is back against Marina Moknatkina. I will not pretend I know who this person is. Ray Cooper III taking on Megamed Uma Latov, which actually is a pretty good fight. Anthony Pettis is back against Miles Price. And then Rory McDonald against Brett Cooper, which is a really good fight. But also, shout out to the ESPN Plus card. Megamed, Megamed Karamov taking on Joa Zeferino, one of the most underrated fighters on the regional scene maybe ever. Uh, Sided with C's on that card, Gleason Tebow, Larissa Pacheco, BC. What stands out to you aside from, let's say, Kayla? Yeah, Julia Budd also on that undercard. And I think... uh, She's going to be the one to watch if you're a Kayla Harrison fan and seeing, okay, Kayla resigned with the PFL. Let's kickstart another tournament. They said this will be her final tournament. And then the following year, she'll enter into more of a super fight pay-per-view role, whatever the hell that means. Luke will find out. But for now, Julia Budd's got to be, she's certainly the most decorated name in the mix, but this has got to be the fight we, we have to build toward, you know, in this regular season and maybe even in the in the championship. So that's something to watch. I don't know any, anything about Kayla Harrison's opponent as well, but Luke, I think you'll agree. Kayla Harrison is must-see TV without freaking question. She's the main event for a reason. Ray Cooper III arguably had the had had the kind of year last year that could compare with Kayla in terms of turning his fortunes around. I know he had already been a PFL champion, but Luke, he proved last year. He's the, he's the real deal. Ray Cooper III is coming freaking on, so it'll be good to see him return. What does Pettis or Rory have left? Here's the thing about PFL. Betting snafu aside, dude, they won me over last year. They did. Mm-hmm. They got enough mixture of names you know and names you don't but should. And uh, the cards that they've announced thus far are pretty interesting. Now, this will be a Friday night, May 6th. That's a crowded-ass weekend, if you don't already know, because the next night is Canelo Alvarez moving up to light heavyweight for a title and also that absolutely loaded UFC Phoenix pay-per-view card. So, Luke, this should be a fun weekend of fights. I wonder, Does Bellator have a card that weekend, too? It's it, You know they call, um... Luke, they call that first Saturday in May the biggest sporting day of the year because of the Kentucky, Tur- Kentucky, Kentucky Derby, Derby and then boxing, yeah. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, and typically Yankees-Red Sox series as well. So so there uh, is. Bellator 280 will be May 6th in Paris, France, BC. That's going to be oh. Ryan Bader taking on Czech Congo. So Yoel that'll be Romero. in the afternoon. That'll be a yeah. late afternoon dish. You know what, Luke? You and I should go wait, wait, somewhere. Hold on, let me read this card real quickly, real quickly. Ryan Bader, Czech Congo, uh, Yoel Romero versus Melvin Manhoff. Melvin Manhoff is probably going to have terrible injury after this uh but this is oh, the one that God. kind of interests me lorenz larkin is back on the call well i mean melvin manoff i mean he's been an unbelievable competitor to watch but dude, he's taken a lot of damage i'm not even sure he should still be fighting to be honest with you but the one that stands out to me more 
Soren Bach taking on Saul Rogers. Dude, Soren Bach is the guy that sent, well, I don't know if he sent him, uh, Patty Pimblett packing, but I watched that fight. That was a five-rounder. You know, Patty Pimblett came out on fire, and Soren Bach kind of withstood it and then took it to him and was taking his back in the fifth round, you know, and, and, and beat him cleanly. Soren Bach is the guy that, like, kind of told me, like, Patty Pimblett's got some work to do, and now he's over in Bellator fighting against Saul Rogers. Saul Rogers another, I think, a good Brit um, on top of it. So that should be a fun, a good, really good fun fight. Luke, I don't know where you and I are going to be that weekend. Maybe we go to the Jersey City studio. But I'll tell you this, uh, Dima Stahlhamer and his wife down there in Phoenix, do, boy, do they want us to go to their art <laughs> enclave, Luke. They, they say it's all ready to be wired and go put the desk in there. Let's do it. We'll do live shows. It's a heck, Luke, if it, if it ends up being, I'll perform in the desert. You know that. But we'll see what happens. All right, uh, and last but not least, we move to topic number five. Just a couple of quick hitters. BC, we'll just start with the Juliana Pena one. This is getting a lot of traction in media, and I understand why, but I really want folks to take a deep breath here. Here's what she said, quote, talking about Ronda Rousey. Ronda is old news, right? Uh, I think that's what, uh, this came to us from the MMA Hour on uh, MMA Fighting. Quote, I think that's what's incredible about her is that she opened up the door and was destroying people in 10 seconds and became a star because... She was demolishing people in the first round, and that's great. But she got knocked out twice and never came back. So how legit is she? And she continued. She had to go to pro wrestling, and I get that, and I think that's great. But as a fighter and somebody who was competitive, I know that deep down it probably truly bothers her, the fact that she went away off on two knockout losses and never came back to make her name good. If it really truly does bother her, and if it gets under her skin at the end of the day to know that, you know, her legacy is kind of ruined by that fact that she never came back and never got back on the horse, then I would like to invite her to please come back and if she would like to come back, I would welcome her with open arms. BC, seems to me that what's happening here is that Pena is responding to the incentives of the market, which is to say uh, unfair and outrageous shit uh, in order to further your, your own career. I don't know that I sign off on, like, there's a couple of bits of truth to this for sure, but yeah. there's a lot of it that's clearly designed. It's designed to be false so that she can, you know, either get a fight with Rousey or get her name out there. And I don't like this kind of attention if it was me, but fighters do. And this is what they say. So, of course, it's wrong, BC. But my point is, well, so what? Yeah, I, I think she's really smart here. So, since Pena's won the title, she's gotten the pro wrestling promo down very well and knows how to deliver it and bring attention on her. Let's not forget, Luke. She played the narrative enemies. up. What was that? They were enemies on The Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, uh, not, Juliana Pena forward. talked wicked shit about uh, Ronda Rousey on that show. And let's not forget, yeah, and of course Pena was supposed to fight Rousey before it all fell apart, or she was closing in on the chance, I remember all that. But here's the deal, though. Um, let's not forget Pena played up the narrative, whether true or not, that Amanda had promised her that title shot at, what, UFC 200 after beating Tate and never came through with it, and she's scared of me, and we were all leading into that fight with Amanda going, come on, Juliana, really? Well, whatever, Luke, it was the motivation she needed to come through now, look, she's getting skewered by a lot of people on Twitter, media, fans, other fighters for disparaging Ronda. Is it fair? No, but there are some pretty damning strong kernels of truth in what she's saying. But I think she's calculated here, and I think it's smart. What's the best thing you can do for yourself? Lure back in a Ronda Rousey for a big fight in a fight you probably can win and continue to build your star if, of course, you can defeat Amanda in the rematch. But, Luke, um... You don't care what's going on in WWE, but Rousey made her comeback at WrestleMania, 
had a title match uh, with Charlotte Flair that was supposed to main event the first night. Last minute, she was told, you're not going on last. Steve Austin is. He's going to have that match. I mean, it's freaking Stone Cold, Luke. The reports, according to Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer, is that Rousey flipped out backstage and basically threatened not to come out and perform. So she had another kind of meltdown. She came out. The match was not well received. She had been off a long time. I think, Luke, the Ronda Rousey WWE experience, for the most part, has kind of run its course. Could she continue on and do big things? Yeah, if she wanted to. But, like, there's no wow factor anymore. This is perfect timing if you're Juliana Pena, whether it's realistic or not, to get back the biggest name in there to give you that payday that you wanted all along. So uh, you could say, hey, Luke, maybe you need to, or hey, Juliana, maybe you need to focus on Amanda right now. I'm sure she's focusing heavily on Amanda, but this shows you're somebody who's smart, who's trying to build to the future. I'll just say this. Like, here's the thing. I saw some people being like, um, you, you know, like, how could she say something like this? Listen. Did Ronda leave after two fights? And by the way, to hear that she had a, a meltdown backstage from Dave Meltzer's reporting isn't like the, I mean, is that on-brand behavior or is that on-brand behavior? I mean, the, the least surprising story I've ever heard about her. Um, you know, she, her exit from the sport was not great. It was not great, you know. Uh, but I've seen a lot of folks being like, oh, how can she say something like this and blah, blah, blah. Yes, of course. If you want to be fair to Rhonda and be reverential about her and say the things that are closer to the truth, then of course you have to say about all of her pioneering work and how she kickstarted the women's game and got everything possible. And if it wasn't for Rhonda, there wouldn't be a Juliana. And I'm on board with all that. I don't like it when fighters say outrageous, awful shit about their opponents, to be quite honest with you. I don't like it at all. But the truth is, I don't understand how people can be fans of the sport and not look around and say, dude, as a fighter, you know, and a lot of them don't do it. Gilbert Burns doesn't do it, for example. Not anymore, anyway. This is what they are incentivized to do, to say outrageous, awful things, in many cases untrue or, at a bare minimum, unfair, certainly not complete, in order to get the kinds of attention and other fights that they want. They are intentionally agitating and being provocative to get somewhere. Now you could go as far as the Colby Covington route where you can take it to a really another level, or you can just do what she's done, which is, you know, draw the ire of marks online and whoever else. So it's not that we are ascribing truth value to what she's saying or that, you know, you like it. I, I you know, it doesn't do much for me one way or the other, but at a bare minimum, it's like, if you have been around the sport for a while, you don't have to personally weigh in when fighters bicker at one another. All you have to do is sort of take a step back and say, what is the purpose of this? Is she really doing this because she believes it? Maybe part of it. Is she doing this to get ahead in her career? That's usually the best. It's Occam's razor. That's usually the best explanation. And it works because here we are talking about it. And it works because I don't know if it's going to get Ronda back, but it's going to get people to hate her as she goes into the Amanda Nunes rematch. And I got news for you. She's going to say more disparaging shit about Amanda as well. Uh, whether it's true or it's not, for the purposes of aggrandizement in the game. Um, well, maybe how it's you play her that? truth, Luke. Maybe it's truth for her, and so I'll well, support that. I'm... In fact, I'd like you to be quite candid with you to be more truthful on the show, because you soft-pedaled that shit saying Rousey's exit from the sport. What would you say? It didn't go as planned. It Luke, wasn't it was great. Fucking, yeah, it was, it was I mean, fucking here's the disastrous. Thing. Tell, I mean, not just the little knock conversation, but this She lost too. twice. Is that disastrous? No, the handling of it. And that's not yeah. me oh, being yes, dis yes, 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 yes. disrespectful Sorry, yes. to the mental I, health challenges. And I know she I, openly I was considered... There. I was there for USC, what was it, 209 where she bottomed out, 207? Whatever one where she, remember she refused to do any media and then yes. Dana White came through? That's when Dana White told me that Nate Diaz was bigger than me. That was, the, that, was that press conference. 
um, or that uh, scrum that he did. So yes, dude, did she handle it poorly? Like that's the worst shit I've ever seen an elite fighter do. I've never seen well, that before or since. At UFC 205, before the weigh-in, they did the stare-down with Nunes and, and Rousey, and she refused to do interviews there, and there was a report she had a big meltdown backstage. So yes. I'm not here to clown on anyone who had legitimate mental health challenges, and let's not forget she went on the Ellen Show and said, you know, I considered suicide. Like, that's serious to me. But, Luke, her handling of her exit from the sport and yes. the – yeah, I mean, it's, it's fucking disastrous. It's about, as, it's about as from high to as, as low as you can get, and it – it just was never a good look across the board. I mean, that's your personality in a lot of ways. Luke, it is what it is. But no, I'm not going to sit here and damn uh, Pena for finally getting to this point, realizing how this game is played, and then playing it, Luke, okay? The thing is, Luke, you know, whether we're talking about corporate politics or whatever, it's a dirty game. You don't have to play it dirty to win, but you do have to play it, okay? Start playing yes. that shit. Yes, you know? that is true. Uh, there's a couple quick hitters on some fights that were made. Jan Blachowicz versus Rakic will be May 14th. Caitlin oh, Shukagian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Give me that shit, yeah. Luke. Give me that. Uh, sa okay. Same card. Caitlin Shukagian, Amanda Hibas, May 14th. Yo, also, so BC. Luke, Shukagian re-signed. And there was, it was up in the air yes. that they might not re-sign her despite being ranked number two in the division. I wonder what kind of contract she took. I wonder what kind of contract she took because she didn't have much leverage. Um, and then last but not least, BC, we saw him box his amateur bout with, with a ton of terror in his face when he was... Uh, getting punched but frank gore is going to make his pro boxing debut on may 14th with none other than game bread promotions which i believe is jorge yeah. masvidal's organization so and look nobody cares but i gotta take an l all dead wrong myself that week that he was preparing to fight darren williams the ex-nba point guard i i went on this camera many times and said guys i've seen the look that i need to see <laughs> Frank Gore's going to go in there and commit a well, homicide. Well, in fairness, I saw guy. the same look. I was there with you. I, it yeah, was, it dude, was I tremendous. was dead wrong because Darren Williams knew knew how to handle himself, Luke. Okay, he let those hands hey, go. But. That's that Fortis MMA training, bro. But, yeah, dude, that's I mean, Frank Gore looked intimidating as shit. What do you want me to say? And Darren Williams was all – I mean, he's big too, but he was nice. He was, you know – Frank Gore was kind of hunched over and just right, literally he was ready to hurt something. But that, yeah. that's why you got to fight him out. All Maybe right. Maybe those days are behind us, Luke, doing that, that, that celebrity stuff. Who knows? We'll see what happens, all right? Um, it's a, it's from your lips to God's ears of real fights that. though. Okay. Uh, not Some only are we ready, ready for real fights, Luke, we've got this great email address. So I want to instruct our fans. If you're going to send shit, don't send it to BC's DMS. He's not going to help you out. Go to Mikey Mormile, our great producer at morning combat at gmail.com Friday's dead wrongs and Wednesday. It's you and your tight t-shirts that you bought from our merch site. Thank you very much. It's called fan submission. Woohoo! We've got mail, listeners. Yes, yes. Luke, we need a uh, we need a we need a sound thing that we can play with. That you've got mail, and then someone going listeners. <laughs> uh, I'm told by our staff that Rosie has touched base with our team. She says thank you very much. She's gonna enjoy those gift cards. Luke got a whole lot of Rosie there. All by right. the way, this could be a completely fabricated thing that we're just repeating from the producers because we've seen no evidence of this. But they yeah. claim that there's a Rosie and they claim that they've given her prizes. So <laughs> they're like, please give us a five star review on Apple. We'll never give you anything, even though we claim we did. Yeah, that's great. Okay, we are giving them that live show, Luke. All right. We are. Yes, that's true. That part is true, yes. IFW, baby. We start off with Ryan this week. Hey, guys, love the show and appreciate the analysis as well as the candor, candor in topics outside of fighting. I hope this gets a chuckle or two from you. <laughs> <coughs> that's not how we spell Tukey. We spell it um, uh, like 
you know, like like it's written in Spanish. So we spell it T U Q U I. Okay. But the hilarity of this is, uh, they had sent this to me before the show, and I sent this to my wife, and even the, she thought it was fucking hilarious. So yeah, it's good. So Luke, did they they sent it to you to make sure yet you didn't flip out, right? Because it's family, it's family, Luke. Yeah, you know? yeah, just to make sure that it was all wholesome, and it's quite wholesome. It's it's very okay. funny. Okay, because if they put Reggie Jackson in a meme, you're damn right I'd be into that, Luke. Okay, there you go. Uh, this one's from Jordan, a self-proclaimed MK superfan here. Not only am I in the audience all day, nearly every day, I am currently in jail as it relates to the January 6th unpleasantness. I have never worn gloves while lifting because I do not lift. <laughs> that being said, I believe there is no upper bound limit to this meme. I've personally viewed it 49 times and believe it a worthy addition to your program. If you want to win another war award, you should do well to feature this meme on your program. Can we go full screen? I got to read this. Shit. Yeah, they did. They did. But it's very, this one is very good. Although in fairness, every, t this has turned out to like be purple monkey dishwasher where every time you tell the story, you slightly change one element of it. So that over time it bears no resemblance to the actual story. The actual story was not in high school I could drink. I didn't drink hardly at all. It will come as a great surprise to you, BC. I did not party much in high school. Uh, made up for it in college. The argument was after college when I had sort of fully filled out. I was about 230 to 40. Um, I, I, I remember one time I drank 18 beers and I didn't feel a thing. And I remember that quite distinctly. So I had guessed that 40 was possible at that point. That was the, oh, that was the claim. Your lying ass said you could still do it. I, I got to find the tape. Maybe it was oh, on one yes. of those. Oh, yes. There, there, there might have been a time early in MK when I was drinking every day where I probably could have. But today, I don't think I could drink four without fucking croaking. You're like, I could dunk. I could drink 40 beers. And, and then, you know, to be fair, Luke, you choose, people think we didn't tell the name of the liquor that you shot because we were drinking uh, what was it actually i forget thick boy wigski it wasn't luke we it was the kraken that you but there's a reason why we didn't tell you because one time you disparaged a a a, a sponsor on air and they had to uh reprimand you so yes i did despair i didn't know they were a sponsor so what do you want me to do i was, well, dude, two I was shots telling of the, the kraken got you loose i thought you were gonna take your top off luke it was okay it was, also was, also i didn't feel a thing from that but you know okay. oh i'm oh, sorry let me get corrected here dead wrong me on a wednesday our, our producer, Ashley, who's given uh, this show a lot of great things, including our new set and one-time COVID, Luke, um, she says it's Bacardi spiced rum that you drank two of. Yeah, who smiles less, Ashley or Grumpy Cat? <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah, I won't say anything else that'll get, uh, yeah, all right, let's keep it going. We love Ashley. Uh, this one's from Derek. Hey, guys, Derek the Barber here from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Looking forward to seeing you guys in July for International Fight Week. It blows my mind how terrible BC is with names and words like ear. I'm glad he's a good sport about being hazed. Also, it's Michelle Pereira, not potato or potato, you simple fucking <laughs> I know you kept uh, saying on the show, you kept saying Mary Bell. That's how they like, say it in my country, Luke. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, Mira enough. Bell. Um, Luke, if we ever make it to Idaho, I want Derek shave, cutting my hair, okay? And I, he won't charge 100 bucks either. I'll tell you that much. Better not. I'm getting my hair cut today. I'm going to get fucking robbed again. In your house or are you going somewhere? No, no, no. I'm going to the place I go to, but it's... I, <laughs> All right, what's what's the what's the listed price? Because I pay twenty four, but I get a massage and I get a, a hair wash and a face thing. So Look, I get I mean. so I get a hair wash. I get a hair wash, and they'll do a slight beard trim for free, and then the list price is eighty five. Oh, get get the Luke, Luke. What is wrong, bro? What 
is wrong with you, bro? Dude, I can't, how many times do we have to have this fucking argument? Have I not shown you real estate prices in this city? I've literally Dude. sent you pictures of okay. what shit goes if for you here, told and it's me out of fucking control. That your haircut was regular price, like 50 bucks, because it's prime hipster city. I'd okay, go, hold on. Okay. So the okay. best haircut I ever got, so the best haircut I ever got, I went to a place years and years ago. They still might be around. It's a chain in this area. There might be a couple outside of D.C. It's called the Grooming Lounge. And I used to go there, and they would bring you a cocktail. They'd do a massage. They'd do the face towel. Whole thing, 45 bucks. And I met a lady there. She quit Grooming Lounge, but she was so good. She came to my house for a couple of years and would cut my hair, same price every time. But she moved to another part of the country, and I lost. And so I went to a couple places that were like 30 and 40, and they were fucking my hair up. I went to this other place that's 85 90 and dude, I grant that is an insane shit price to pay. I don't like it, but I don't know where to go to get a price. We're back. I'm back at 50. Look, if you can show me, that price I'll do it. Reach. If it doesn't come with an around, if you get what I'm saying, then it's a ripoff, Luke. And by the way, one day when Tukey follows Uncle Gringo's journey into community college, I'll call her up and tell her why you couldn't afford it. Okay, BC, Luke? you're coming to the city on what day so you're coming in june or whatever right father's day so weekend. here's my challenge yeah. to you you seem to yeah. think that i am very confused and that you can navigate the city's haircutting places far easier than i could challenge is on buddy you okay, can come here show me know. a place show me a place where you can get a 50 dollars haircut that looks good in the city Luke, show me there were years in this job 2019 is one of them where i was just traveling a stupid amount almost every other week dude i've gotten haircuts in las vegas new york Los Angeles, it yes. is not. It is just not. It's not, Luke. Okay. It's uh, yeah, not. I've gotten haircuts when I went to Vegas for the Canelo fight. I got a haircut for fifty bucks, dude. I'm I'm interested in fifty dollar haircut places that do a good job. I my can't point, find them. My point is, Luke, you'll agree with this. While you sometimes can have a nice styled head of hair, you don't have like elaborate, you know, BGL hair that needs to be like permed and and like you know no. what I'm saying, Luke. For yeah, 85 dude, bucks? Am Damn. I telling you that my haircut is amazing? Have I ever said that? It's a very stand... Every time I go, I went to Cartagena, and I was showing the guy on my phone what kind of haircut I want. He's like, oh, it's a classic cut. I'm like, yeah, that's all I want, bro. I just want a classic, want a classic cut. cut. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm, dude, help me. If, if you got to figure it out, by all means, bro, throw down that challenge. I would love to see it. I would love to see it. Can I give a quick shout out? I Luke, I don't get cheap haircuts either, but I gotta give a, give a quick shout out to my barber Dion because he loves combat sports, and I talk to him about combat sports every time I get a haircut, and I put him on to MK and all the Showtime shit. Oh shit! So shout out to my barber Yo, Dion. You gotta ask Dion to come to the MK studios and hook it up. That's what you gotta do, bro. I'll ask him. I'm getting a haircut in the next couple of days. I'll ask yeah. him. Tell I was watching that comedy special that Showtime put out a couple years ago. You you might be surprised. And in, in, uh, do you know that Shab? Oh, has here a, you are doing bits. Here no, you no, are I'm telling doing you, skits and Shab bits. has a, a barber named Jamal who's Asian as shit. I listened to it, Luke. Okay, I'm telling you this. All right, it was it was God. great. All right, here's Dave from Baltimore, the Beltway Factory Town, longtime Luke fan, but BC's growing on me. I don't hate him or gas station delicacies once in a while. Best show in the game. Keep on donking. What what is this here? <laughs> it's a little involved. It's yeah. a little involved, but the gas station taquito safe place might be the hit of this whole thing. <laughs> oh God, Luke! Imagine if if we if you and I sat down for a, a some type of long range interview with Anthony Smith and we just put it all on the table. That might be needed, Luke. Okay, let's just air all the grievances out. I let's think get I think that's topic. I think we're due. I think we're due. Yeah, because Lionheart, I wonder if Lionheart's Factory Town MMA ready, and I just haven't haven't realized this, Luke. 
there. Yeah, you haven't realized it. That's that's the reality. Him and I could train together. That'd be great. You know, I could maybe turn yeah. him against you. That'd be a, a, a nice turn of events. Hey, Danger Mouse is back uh, with memes to showcase the glory of MK winning not one, but two awards last week. So congratulations from me and now on with the memes. Just a quick topical one to start with. It's a little strong. A little strong, but we but we served people up with that with that slap. You know what I'm saying? Secondly, now, BC, you said you wanted to give Luke a gold vape pen, so I've designed one for you. I think I've done pretty well on the wording on the plaque. Maybe BC, it will help him quit. Special gift for Luke on winning this one. To my friend, co-host, fellow donk, and award winner, every time you suck on this, think of me. <laughs> Your friend, Brian Campbell. Wow, Luke. Wow. I'd, I'd use that, too. Yeah, use that. <laughs> yeah, you would. And finally, we have Luke's family's reaction to the news of the uh, award. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh, that one hits close to home. Yeah. God does. damn, that is vicious. Yeah, it does. <laughs> wow. All right. Hey, big. And the hey, best part is, dude, the best part is they can do this because they'll never see it. They'll never see it. They'll never see it. No, they won't. They won't. Um, hey, Antoine from Alaska sent us one. I don't think he sent it to the address. Send that shit in. I want to see the mountains with you. Dude, that guy, Antoine, the guy that, that ran the steps of January 6th and kept running to Alaska, the guy mm -hmm. pulls off chigs at six foot eight there in Alaska. Just sweep. Look, I would do, I bet you it's Deadwood, South Dakota like. I would do damage up there in that 50th state, Luke, 49th, whatever. All right. Damage to your liver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> damage to your dong all right uh this one's from at rodriguez works good morning gents i would like to introduce you to an mk ultra comic cover starring luke thomas and king ct i won't bore you with all the details of the zombie horde but i'm sure you'll figure out all of the easter eggs 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 coming from an og listener who has suffered the pressures of rage tirades rants malpractices tech difficulties Dick jokes, soapboxes, insults, hearts on sleeves, and joy. We are loyal. We are the crushed. We are the diamond donks. And yes, donk is played out. Luke, Wait, your thoughts on this. Okay? Go back and blow it up a little bit here. Let me see this. Yeah, Corey, can you blow this guy? Okay, so I get a couple of these. Um, the hot dog I get. The person next to the dinosaur skeleton is because you said people and man walked on Earth at the same time. <laughs> the, the sad guitarist with his shoes untied that's jay right um let's and i guess yeah, i guess that's anthony smith at the top and then the old person is like the one you make fun of on uh what you call it on like okay, uh, who's, who's in the top left can we zoom in on that is that a texas flag okay so it's the bbl to the far left who am i punching with the weights that's the one i don't quite get Shake that guy's got two shake weights. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that one. Um, then the 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 Davy Crockett hat is that Shavkat Rachmanov? All right, so who's the dude with the axe? Oh, my live you cut out or BC's cut out? Okay, BC's cut out. All right, so. All right, so then there's the predator holding the flag of I'm not sure what that is. And then in the far back, I don't know what that is at all. What, do we know what that is? Corey, you got any guesses? I guess it's just, yeah, no worries. Uh, well, I got to say, this is, 
the most devotion to an art project around MK that I think I've ever seen short of the unbelievable photoshops of web scream. It's pretty good. I think I think that is that dude the guy who sings those terrible those songs, the guy in the purple jacket at the very top left? Oh, no like no, no no no, left. you mean the bottom bottom left. Yeah, with the weights. Yeah, that might be, yeah. but I don't know why he's got weights. All right, give us a second. We'll uh, we'll All push right. it back in. Yeah, we're we're can they, can they hear BC or not? They can't hear BC. I see BC on Zoom. Uh, he's gonna join us here in a second. I gotta say, this is pretty well done drawing. Uh, I guess BC side is a little bit more decipherable than mine. But I gotta say, me being the Incredible Hulk and all green and punching someone in the face, very on brand, very on brand. Love that one a lot. That's good. Yeah, we're still waiting on BC's thing. Hey, put this on. My wife got me a new vape, which I should not be smoking, but you know, addiction's a funny thing. Check this out. It lights up. Ready? I'm a fucking two-year-old. Hey. Look at that. All right, we can close the show, can't we? I mean, what are we doing? All right, BC is saying not to close it. He's saying not to close it because he wants to get back on. We have one more fan sub. Perfect timing. All right, BC says I can throw to it. Now, I don't have any setup here, but we're going to play it. So this is the last. At Crazy Cromps, he made the last fan sub. Let's, let's, let's hit it if we can, Corey. What's up, Donks? I'm here in Liverpool with yours truly, the only Scouse Jan Sixer. Only got three things to say. Brian, fuck you and fuck your liver. Two, Luke, fuck you and your liberal coffee orders. And thirdly, and most importantly, I best get some free merch for this. Let's go, boys. MK all day, every single day. I mean, if that is just not the greatest thing you've ever seen in your life, I really don't know what is. Okay, so BC wants me to tell you guys that that guy is going to get free merch because that was unbelievable. That was perfect. That's exactly what we wanted. If you notice, that was the poster that was up on one of the, I guess, famous bridges in Liverpool. Pardon me, I don't know a lot about Liverpool. Um, uh, billboard, excuse me, billboard, not poster, billboard. And we were like, take a picture with it, get some free merch. My guy, who has a Scouse accent, loving Trump. You don't see a whole lot of those, I guess. Nevertheless, though, he did it with exactly what we asked. He insulted us, which is perfect. Uh, you will get free merch, sir. You will get free merch. Tell him to... Uh, oh, okay, so email the show, sir. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Morningcombat at gmail.com. And we will get you some free merch. All, All right, right, we can hear BC now. I'm back just in time for you to close the show. But that guy was... that guy. How does that guy not live in, you know, somewhere in a van down by the river ready to run the steps again, Luke? This guy's fantastic. You know what? If you're going to flee the scene after January 6th, you might as well just go leave the country. That's the, really the key here. Might as well just All go right. back to Liverpool. All Apologies right. for the tech difficulties, Luke. I forgot to plug it in. I mean, that's that's where we're at with this award-winning show, I guess, right? Listen, yeah. for once, it ain't me. For yeah. once, motherfucker. Yeah. All right. Uh, BC, uh, good show today. The Demetrius Johnson interview, one more time, is out when? It'll be out later today, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. Go to YouTube.com slash Morning Combat 
and you can check it out, okay? So uh, there you go. There's our social handles. Luke, I'll, I might be going on vacation, or I might not. We'll see if my family can recover. From well, if things. not, you'll be on the show with us on Friday. And uh, oh, excuse me, if you if you don't go on vacation, you'll be with us on the show on Friday. If you are on vacation, we'll still have a good Friday preview show as well. We're working on that already. So uh, thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. Again, Showtime is a label that pays. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. Morningcombat.store is going to be the place to get that merch. And again, we will uh, send it out to the person who... Uh, what was his name? Krusty Clown or Krusty Crumps or whatever the fuck? Uh, his his name was at Crazy Crumps on Crazy Instagram. Crumps. Crazy yes. Crumps. Um, we'll get you some merch as well. All right. Thanks to everyone who watched. We'll be back uh, on Friday. Got a lot more content in the in-between. So thanks to Malka, CBS Sports, BC's Live View, and Showtime. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>